All right, let's get started again here. We're on 11.2, the College Housing Overview. We do have a couple of speaker cards. I'm going to first call up Mr. Gary Ortman. My name is Gary Ortman. I'm a resident of Napa. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity of speaking. Uh, I'm still trying to get a handle on the various district plans and how they relate to each other and to the financial plan. Um, as I said earlier, I couldn't find any mention of the housing in of housing in the facilities master plan or the educational master plan, and but I'm still perplexed. The facilities master plan clearly states it has been developed to provide guidance for future development activities and that the educational master plan is the guiding document for all district activities. So my question is, is there a separate housing plan? Uh, is or will it also be guided by the educational master plan? And I listened to the tapes of a recent proposal that came before you, and the Chair Rios expertly said, yeah, but how does that relate to the master plan? And you should be thinking in those terms, and I appreciate your, your asking that. The proposed response to the uh, external uh, accreditation report to be considered in item 13.2 contains the statement that the college has revised its approach to the campus master plan by sifting, shifting toward a district management system to consider options for leveraging physical resources to support college needs. I may have missed it, um, the board's adoption of this new system and the policies that guide it. Now, I can't find that adoption of this new system. Um, I did review some of the documents in the uh, very ample agenda packet having to do with this item, but did not find any policy to guide the whys or wherefores of housing that might be applicable to Napa Valley College. A lot of the, those documents had to do with larger colleges that attract students from outside um, their, you know, from a long distance or inter even international students, um, and they need to attract those to pay some of the high tuitions at those schools. Not clearly the situation Napa Valley College is in. Um, so the question arises, um, is the purpose of housing uh, to get to assist in student attendance, ease faculty recruitment, or rather is it to generate revenue to meet the ever-increasing expenses due in part to faulty estimates of CalPERS, CalSTRS, future expenses, or the deferred maintenance and repairs of existing facilities, which you just saw the facilities uh, master plan. I mean, the, the attachments talk about, you know, six million for roofs and five million for non-roof things, and then there's a set of other attachments, like 59 million for other repairs, we don't know when when those might be, but the, clearly you're concerned about that and you should be concerned about those big bills looming out there in the future. Um, so many of the documents in the packets relate to various financing mechanisms to develop campus housing. There is, however, a strong flavor suggesting that the board may consider developments using so-called public-private partnerships. Many of these schemes, unless the risks are very carefully considered and monitored and controlled, which is very costly to do and therefore adds to the, to the price, um, are nothing more than exercises in extraction by private investors. 
Investors in mature infrastructure deals expect a 15 to 20 percent return on investment. There's no way adding unnecessary middlemen improves the results to the public. It's tantamount to selling the family china and then renting it back in order to eat. And then the use of the language leverage, and we'll talk about that later when the item comes up, is, indicates a certain mindset that I think you not, should not use. Leverage in a governmental context means using your tax-exempt status from both income tax and real property tax to then develop property, rent it at market or close to market, and you're, you're, going, going, to, you're going to make a lot bigger profit that way. I don't think that's what the public wants. The public wants you to assess what the needs are for housing, develop it, and, you know, the needs should be, have to do with education, has, should ha- have to do with the students. And if we need more money to, to make the repairs, then we should be asking the public for bonds to do that and not involving public-private partnerships. I mean, I th- my, my, my pitch to you is when you listen to the presentation, let's see what the goals are here. And let's pick the right remedy for the goals and not go off into things that might be expensive and might be just extractive. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. Conchita, there you are. Thank you so much for letting me come tonight and say a few words. Well, first of all, uh, affordable housing or ha- the housing issue is like the number one issue here in Napa. Uh, the city council did uh, a survey of the residents and people here really call the housing the ha- housing crisis that we have here in Napa Valley is like on everybody's mind. And you have such and you have such you have beautiful land here that is just saying build up some beautiful housing on this. But I would and I know. So I'm saying I'm I'm very glad to hear that you th- you're thinking of putting housing here, and obviously, the housing is important for the students and the faculty. But I ask you to also remember that you need affordable housing for your classified employees, and if possible, to open up perhaps some of this land to affordable housing that would be. To some uh, that would be available to some of the residents that would need the housing, such as seniors and workforce, and this could be a really wonderful mixed-use housing project. So I would really ask that, as he was saying, look at the need, and the need is screaming for affordable housing. So I, I like he's like, and I agree that what are the goals? Is it to, and I don't know what the, you know, tonight we'll be listening, and I certainly welcome the presentation that is going to be going on here tonight. But I do think that the the, the land that you have is so is so precious because so much land is disappearing from Napa where we can build housing, and so it makes what you do here even more important. And when you think about it, really put it in context with what the community needs, the students, the faculty, but also beyond that, see if there's some way of incorporating some affordable housing 
for maybe some of the rest of the community as well. So that, that's really all I'm saying, and I look forward to hearing this tonight and to being educated as to what the possibilities are here. But in that you're in the beginning stages, I wanted to throw that out so that it doesn't get lost in the mix. Thank you so much, and, and um, I'm, I am uh, with the Democrats of Napa Valley Club. I'm the chair of our Affordable Housing Committee, which is why I come here and speak on this, because we are looking at every possible place where affordable housing can be built. So thank you. Thank you. Dr. Kraft, I think we're on to you here. Is there? Oh, Lou, I didn't have a uh, Good evening. How are you? Everybody okay? My name is Louis Flores. I'm a resident here in Napa. Uh, I understood the meeting was to be on affordable housing and on some issues on immigrants. And the issue I want to address is both of those groups because the people that I'm mostly involved with have both problems of obtaining affordable housing and as being treated equally in this country, and that's farm workers. Farm workers are the bottom and the support and upon whose shoulders all of us enjoy a good life here in Napa County. Without farm workers, there is no grapes. Without grapes, there is no wine. And without wine, there is no good living. And that has been a problem for farm workers in Napa Valley ever since I lived here, and that's been since the early 60s. It's always been a problem for farm workers to obtain housing here. Before wine became the good drink for everybody in the country, it wasn't that much of a problem, but as wine became more and more desirable, so did the workers. And right now, for example, we have three housing centers here in Napa County, each one of them which houses 60 workers from about February until about the end of the harvest, and then they leave. Where do they go? Some of them are immigrants that come all the way from Mexico to work here. Some of them come from other parts of the state and live here because it's just very difficult to commute. And so we need more housing for farm workers. We also have to, in today's age, any of you who have followed Mr. Trump and his idea of what we should do with immigrants, and that is we pack them all up and send them back to Mexico. That, those are his words, not mine. All you have to do is take a look at all of the newscasts, go onto the Internet and just Google immigration, Google Trump, and... Uh, News comes out to you at bursts of what's going on in that area. 
There's not much you can do other than to educate our people. Educate your students that this country is a country of immigrants. All of us, I don't know of anybody here, unless you're a Native American, I don't know of anybody in this room that is a Native American from this country, from this hemisphere. All of us have relations coming from other parts of the world, whether it's from Europe or whether it's from Asia or from Africa. We're all strangers here. We're all strangers in this land, and we get along because we are that way. We're, we're a mixture, and we have learned to live with each other. But we don't treat our farm workers that way. They come and toil our fields. But when's the last time anyone ever went or goes and looks at where they live and how they live when they work here? Has anybody ever visited a farm worker center? Raise your hands. One, two, three, four. Good. For a day or just a visit? Go sometime. Join them. They will invite you to lunch. Those centers serve three meals. They will invite you to... Is that the one that that's a more time? I haven't got more time than that? Yes. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, I am. Okay. Go there, because it's very important that we do and understand that part of it. And can I have another minute, and I'll address the immigration issue, because that's, that's also up, very important. That's coming up... Uh, after this item, and you can come back up and speak on that item. Well, I have to leave, so if I'll you give cut you me one, off. One more minute. Go ahead. Thank you. Lou, Lou, I said you can go ahead and have your additional minute. Okay. I didn't submit a speaker card, but I have something to contribute. May I do that? Please go ahead. Three minutes. Thank you. Uh, Chris Malin, 2945 Atlas Peak Road. I worked for County Mental Health and Human Services for 35 years, and I have my entire caseload as the homeless. And um, we have such a crisis with housing people who have nowhere to live, and there's a good majority of them that are low-income. Uh, and I know that they struggle to get places to live, uh, homeless vets, um, young people who aren't living in their family of origin anymore, mentally ill folks who are substance abusing and trying to get into treatment. Uh, we need low-income housing, uh, and that's anywhere now from 950 to 1500 for one bedroom. And um, I know students uh, must have a hard time paying, uh, you know, decent 
uh, amount of money for a one-bedroom. So if you could incorporate, I really like the the woman's comment about multi-use, if it could be, and also single-room occupancy. We lost that about five years ago. We had buildings that had single-room occupancy. So if you can uh, incorporate single-room occupancy along with low income and accept vouchers for Section 8, um, and, of course, affordable housing. But really, a mixed use would be really wonderful, and uh, I'm grateful I had this opportunity to say that. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Kraft, Dr. Kraft. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. And I'm going to take the podium and, and do this. Um, I, I failed to uh, recognize a couple things. I want to um, just make sure that I recognized Emeritus Trustee Ketron, who is here as Vice President of the Napa Valley College Foundation. Thank you, Bruce, for doing that. And also has been involved on the first part of this um, housing overview, so you'll appreciate um, some of the past comments here. Um, I'm going to step up there. I think it's easier for you to watch and see. Well, thank you. And you'll have to, if in the in the uh, audience, you'll have to excuse me because I'm really kind of addressing the board, but you as well. But it's difficult for me to turn back and forth, if if that's okay. Um, a couple things. This is a it's a a huge conversation in terms of its um, time frame. Um, the this the, the college has really been talking about the North Corner and college housing and housing generally and development um, for at least. Um, at least a decade on this specific issue, two decades on the on the uh, further side. Um, I also I made a couple of notes there. I really appreciate the speakers. Um, I if if we don't on point um, are not able to really address all of your your concerns tonight. Know that um, they're um, I've noted them. We're addressing them, and I think it's going to be important that um, we get at them. Um, we ha this is an information item. It will be a continuing information item, um, you know, for for this month. And we have some ideas about where we'd like to go, um, some some conversation. But I've set it up this way for you. Um, this is the the general piece, context of the housing discussion, the mission support, which gets to some of the conversation that you heard tonight. Housing in California CCs, very short. I hope um, specific land use opportunities in the in the district, which is really. Um, Bob Parker is going to co-present with me tonight, and I would encourage anybody who uh, um, has something to share along the way to do that. Um, and then we'll go to financial questions and more as well, and which is Bob. And then we'll kind of open it up, all right, if that makes sense. So let me just set the context here for you. Um, the, the, the land use here thing is really interesting. I had done a series of, of forums early on um, last year and uh, on housing and really, in preparation for that, I really dug in to a couple of things in, in terms of the, what's been talked about um, over the years. And let me just grab a couple of my notes here. The, the college board has really entertained over the last decade at least these kinds of things. Um, all three presidents over the past decade have endorsed this idea, have supported this idea, um, and have um, encouraged the the board to move forward on this idea. All three have really been, um, you know, at cross purposes with some of the, the community development 
whether the time was right. Very difficult to talk about using the north part of a campus for anything when the, before a flood control project was concluded and it was it wasn't very buildable, if you will. Um, between 2008, almost a decade ago, consultants and studies and proposals included. Um, this is an inc a totally inclusive list: a private school, at least two hotels, a golf course a series of senior living um, um, facilities, Lowe's, um, I don't know what you call that, big box store, I guess, the Lowe's, um, an agricultural um, expansion of, of the vineyards out there, student housing, faculty housing, and both of those put together, and, and affordable housing. So all of them have been addressed over the years at some point. Um, some of them were more more formal and actually came to the board for information items like tonight. So what we're trying to do now is just focus it a little bit and kind of move forward. Um, as you heard tonight, there is a lot of conversation generally about housing, and I think we know that. You, as a board, you have received these over the last two years and many reports, um, both president's reports, community members who came in, um, city, county and foundations who came in. Some of them are here. I think you might remember Cass Walker came in from the Gasser Foundation not too long ago and presented the, the Stoddard Housing Project, which is basically affordable housing. City of Napa, and um, as we heard tonight, it, affordable housing um, is identified as the top priority for the city of Napa. If anything, it's, it's gone to crisis um, potential here. So let me just keep... Keep moving along. This gets that mission a little bit. So the question always becomes, um, is it in mission? You know, what what are you really doing with the vacant land of, of the college, and what should you be doing? Well, I think that one test is it, when you decide to do something with vacant land, which is solely the, the purview of the board. It's only your call what to do with, with vacant land and how you perceive it's best. Um, for um, the outcome of the institution with, uh, I would say, a, a strong ear to constituencies, especially inside, faculty, staff, administration, and, you know, listening to those ideas, um, taking some of those in, into account, um, and then the community as well. So our mission is on the left here. It prepares students for evolving roles. That's fine. Um, at the state level, um, it really talks about access. So this is the state mission for community colleges. And I just underline that one piece. The other piece that's maybe important to think about is, you know, a guiding principle for the state community colleges, this is number five, is flexibility to address the broad diversity of community circumstances. Napa is, is unique in some ways. We're a little bit geographically isolated. It's a very expensive place to live, um, you know, et cetera. I, I looked at a Santa Monica um, advertisement today um, in terms of its student housing. And so, and they do a lot of international students down there. Um, it, it really said students need not apply before you come to Santa Monica because you will absolutely be able to find um, a, an apartment or a rentable space within 10 days because the inventory is so huge in, in those areas. And here, I think we would probably say the opposite. You know, students need not apply because there's no way you're going to find, um, you know, housing that's available. Uh, um, the the other piece that that we've uh, I would like to get at 
There's a really interesting study, and I've, I've got it um, for you later, and I'll also post it for folks here. This is a, a study that came out from the same folks. The Oscar, you can help me. Um, the, the group that came out to do our, our speak from San Diego uh, in terms of the minority. M2, M, M2C, C3? M2C3, thank you. Um, one of their members wrote and, and uh, just finished up a 3,600-person community college student survey. Approximately a third of all students experience housing insecurity. Um, by gender, it rolls out this way, 30% of men, you know, a high percentage of women. They define the housing insecurity as, as you know, everything from couch surfing, living in your car, um, being bounced around, um, if you will. Um, and it, it affects their persistence rates, as you would imagine, their success rates in school. They also link this with food insecurities, which is an, a new term. Um, and that's even higher, by the way. Um, students with housing insecurity, this is a big mission piece here, 60% more likely to have a goal of achieving a certification than those without insecurities. What that really boils down to is they're very focused on getting through a community college fast. They, they really see the benefit of coming in, getting classes, succeeding, and then getting out. That, that's exactly the target that the community college um, specifically focuses on in CTE especially, but in, in the other certifications. The other piece here that the mission, it, I think addressing the option for student housing provides safety, security, and there's a lot of studies, and I gave you a few in your packet, and there's many more to, you know, you can Google this. If you Google student housing on campuses, it, it hits almost a billion hits, um, and so there's lots of material out there. Um, the, the academic performance absolutely increases. Um, study after study shows this, both at the university level and the community college level. So those students who find themselves as part of a learning community, able to see friends, connect, have study, they're much more likely just to do what we would call in education, I think, kind of the right things, right? Spend more time studying, less time commuting, more time with people who are like-minded, et cetera. So, I, you know, with this, I would say that there's, a, a, you know, a tremendous amount of underlying support. Benefits of living on campus, quickly, better proximity to college resources, exposure to international lifestyles, ability to fully immerse oneself and the experience. These are all over the, the, the net. Ease of meeting other students and building relationships, which we know through counseling and through Puente, um, I think, Triple S, um, all, all of them, Trio, you know, students in an affiliated group who really feel support do better. They just do better. And um, I think part of what we're talking about here is aiming that direction. Um, apartments and dormitories often furnished, etc. We'll get um, back to that a little bit. As you can see, I'm focusing a bit for our conversation on student housing. We are absolutely um, interested, if you're interested, and and there's enough demand in expanding that to to um, faculty and staff, um, at least out of the get-go, and and further conversations, I think, about other other groups, um, as as we talked about, are, will be, I think, further conversations. I, I sure wouldn't. Um, foreclose them right now. These are colleges in California that currently have, community colleges in California that currently have student housing. 
um, the, the, all the way to the bottom there of Lassen. Um, they all have some history. They all have good lessons, too. I mean, th- there are... They weren't seamless when they opened them up. They had exactly the same kind of problems that you know that m- most people um, would anticipate. You know, they had each college had to kind of learn what it meant to have students on campus. Some of them did it seamlessly. Some of them stumbled around a little bit. Um, I guess what I show you is there's there's some really effective practices out there that we're not really cre- recreating the wheel by any stretch. The very bottom one down there, um, Coast Community College, the City College of San Francisco, um, College of the Canyons, and Napa are in active consideration of um, expanding or thinking about student housing. This was only just from a qualitative um, group. There are many more folks in the state at the community college level who are really addressing this, boards all all across the state. It is a um, a fact that almost one third of all community college students in in the United States um, live and uh, live and ha- go to colleges with residencies. Um, not that many of of the college students live in those, but one third of those colleges have resident components. Uh, let me see if I can get. It. Okay, here's here's kind of a general look see. Um, and I and I shared it this way because I want you to kind of feel the scope of this. I think when people ordinarily consider the idea of land use or housing, you, you it's easy to get in your mind a complex of an apartment complex or a sprawling neighborhood or something. That box in the upper right hand side of this of this chart represents a facility that could easily handle a couple hundred students, um, easily. And so it, it kind of gives you a scope and size of this a little bit. I, is there any magic there? Don't beg me on where I put it. I just It just ended up there. Um, but it, it does it does beg the, the question, to, as somebody has pointed out tonight, you know, we have a lot of land out there. The reason that this, this um, PowerPoint started with a picture of, of the pond is because the great, beautiful asset that we have in the middle of our campus, which is this gorgeous pond, the arboretum and protected area, is an absolute um, jewel. It makes this potential project much more appealing, much more aesthetic, and much more programmatic as possible as well. Um, We're going to get to answers, I think, in terms of, you know, um, finances, but I really wanted to uh, kind of lean on Bob right now to talk about, if, if you will, um, some of the schemas. I'm not sure that it's in here. No, it's not. So, Bob, maybe you can just talk about some of the things we learned in, in um, talking with consultants and how far we are, and we'll go from there. Thanks. So, um, while we're on this slide, I just I want to point out one thing, and that is we've seen this picture before. We saw this picture in Matt's presentation on the facilities master plan. And the facilities master plan focused on instructional spaces. And so what we see in the facilities master plan are the needs to support instruction here on campus. And so this, this what we're talking about right now, campus housing, really falls outside of that facilities master plan discussion, but is part of the overall campus footprint. 
And so when we looked at, when we've, we've uh, looked at models for potentially constructing housing on campus, um, there are a number of ways to do it. The way that seems to make the most sense for us, and this is what we discussed when we had our campus forums on housing back in the fall, the one, the way, the, the mechanism that makes the most sense for us would be a public-private partnership. And it does a number of things for us. First of all, it takes any obligation away from the district. So the district would enter into a long-term lease, 30-, 40-year lease, on whatever piece of property would be used for the development. The public-private partnership would be a separate 501c3. They would be the ones who would sell the bonds. The bonds would not be an obligation of the district. Uh, the bonds would be serviced through the proceeds from renting the facilities that are constructed. So the bonds would would uh, be used, utilized to build the structure, as well as to support um, uh, the uh, and and then the rentals would support the service on those bonds. The facility would be managed by a separate company, so it would not require the uh, uh, services of our facility staff. Of uh, it, uh, We would not have to open up a campus housing office on uh, campus to, uh, to uh, operate the facility. It would be handled by a, a separate company. Uh, the one thing about the public-private partnership is that there would be an expectation that anyone who would be leasing in that facility would be associated with the college. And so could it be faculty or staff? Yes, it could. Um, Could it be students? Absolutely. But you would have to have a relationship or a connection to the college in order to be able to qualify for the housing. So in terms of next steps... Um, one of the next step, a couple of next steps for us to take would be surveys to determine if there is interest in housing on campus. Um, also, what's referred to as an RFQ, a request for qualifications. So to publish a request for qualifications to see what developers would be interested in entering into that relationship with us. And then Following those uh, brief surveys would be a feasibility or market demand study. No developer would be uh, interested in devoting the time and energy and the resources into uh, developing the, the proposal or presenting a proposal if it didn't work out for them, if there wasn't sufficient demand uh, to support, uh, to rent the facilities, and to support the ongoing use of the facilities. Um, Dr. Kraft? The, you probably have, there's a lot of questions in between these things, and I think that we all do. Now, I, a couple things I want to I wanna make sure that we hear. A, there's no, even though, let me go back one, even though, you know, the, I've got this little piece up here as a, you know, kind of a demonstration square, and we're talking about students, you, it, it, certainly I would imagine that faculty and staff would say, you know, do I have to live, are they going to live on floor three and we're living on floor two? That's not going to happen, right? So those very specific kind of questions downline, there will probably be other kinds of uh, approaches for that. 
I think the one that I'm most interested that you is absolutely clear is that the the formula that Bob is is um, talking about is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Most college campuses um, nowadays are building this way. So the there's no real long-term dollars associated or short-term dollars associated from the college investing in this. So it's all on the back, if you will, of private investors. You and me, if we wanted to buy these bonds as investments, that's where it goes. So it's not, and when you hear the word bond, it's not connected with the college in any way. It's a, it's a neutral thing. You can buy these bonds this afternoon or this evening if you'd like. Um, for other housing projects that are on the market right now. USC is building 14,000 more units, and you can buy bonds in those as investments. They actually pay pretty well, I think. You know, um, But they, but that, if you get it, uh, that was the number one kind of argument and that we heard early on. Will the college be involved? Um, only tangentially. Only tangentially. It, it just happens that we have the land there. We could easily be talking to the board about investing and buying, I guess, an apartment complex in some other area of the of the county. But you and I both know that a, an apartment complex in some area of the county comes at a extraordinarily high cost, and it's because of the land costs. So, what makes this doable is that is the is this long term lease doing this in a private five hundred one c three. The, the developer, if you will, involved in that doesn't have to pay the huge amounts of dollars for the land. So that means that you are going to, um, at the end of the day, be able to um, rent, if you will, or lease beds, if we're just talking about students, at a lower than market rate because they're not, they're not picking up the cost of the land and the development, the profit, all of those kinds of things. This is a tax-exempt issue, right? So I mean, so some of that kind of gets at those things. Um, would um, we best now? You think, Mr. Chair, just go to questions, or we're um, we have you know vast resources here in Bob and uh, yeah, I, I think there's probably a number of questions. I know I've got a, a couple of questions. So if we we could, um, Marianne. So. Um, there was so much information on the in the packet. It was a bit overwhelming of all the choices, all the different ways that we could go. Um, and so what I'm hearing from this, and I may need a little bit more explanation, is with the 501c3 option, what are we, what are we gaining out of it other than what are we gaining for the land, um, and if anything, other than the um, obvious gain, which is you know being able to attract more students and um, and just have a better life for students, possibly faculty and whoever else. So the the primary benefit would be just that. You know, a, a place for our an affordable place for our students to live, a place for our students to to come and to engage, to be associated with the college on an on an ongoing basis. There is potentially some financial gain as well. I mean, first of all, 
any net uh, the the excess of revenues over expenses, and certainly the developer would be anticipating that there would be an excess of revenues over expenditures through operating the facility. The district would share that would be part of that long-term lease, 30 or 40-year long-term lease. The other thing that happens at the end of that lease is that the facility then reverts back to the district. So the district would become the owner of the facility. I don't know how I don't know how much to add. I mean, you know, because this is a very you know complicated thing. But I, I would um, just for other folks, uh, you could find on the website on the board docs there is a packet that we assembled for the board, and uh, it was rather dense. We put a lot out there just for you to kind of study. Um, I, I would say, as anecdotally, all of the schools who, on, uh, including all of the, the California schools, recognize a net profit from their from their operations. So, and that can be anywhere from a dollar to five hundred thousand dollars a year. We would. It depends on the size and scope of of what you and the feasibility as well. Um, our goal is not primarily as a revenue generating piece. Um, it would certainly be wonderful to do that. And those monies then are directed. If you know the excess, they'd be directed for general fund. And and to the benefit of students and and growing the college and providing services. So, yes, yes. Um, what have we done already uh, internally as far as looking at how many students are commuting from far distances? How many faculty and other employees are commuting from far distances? Do we have any numbers about that? Yeah, I, I think a few. I mean, I have some in my head, but you know, you go ahead if you no. Um, I, I think, you know, qualitatively, I think 30% of our, of our student population live out of county or driving in. And, and now you have to kind of just extrapolate and think about they're either living out of county because it's cheaper and they're driving here, right? Um, or they're driving or they want to, they would rather live here and go to this school. Something's happening there. So there's about a third or so of students who are, um, who are living I, I, off campus. Faculty, I, we haven't done that kind of work. I, I couldn't say. I mean, I couldn't say. That's what the feasibility study is really all about, is, is if, if during a feasibility study and the surveys that roll out, you know, it's, you, we came back with a whopping 10 people who are interested, then, you know, that's where it stops. It just stops there. Um, I do know in the feasibility study, and we've talked about this in other, other terms, I think somebody else brought it up in here and maybe in, a, in another venue that um, surveying present Napa Valley high school students at the sophomore, junior level, a lot of this is a normal. If then, right, if the college had, um, you know, I'll use the word dorms for right now, would you, would that make a difference to you in attending? And um, that's an interesting question to see. And, um, you know, nobody knows the answer to that yet. A lot of our students, again, are that 20 to 29 um, a lot of them are couch surfing, and um, you know, I, I, I would imagine that they would say yes to a survey, um, depending on the price. Right, it all goes to price. So I have a, a question. I think part of it was um, kind of uh, listening to some of the comments that Mr. Ortman made. Kind of goes to financing and, and uh, a couple of other issues. My, I guess, my interest in in this is is starting from the students you know, the students and being tied to the educational purpose 
of, of the, the college and providing housing um, for students, uh, first of all, if there is a need and it's feasible. Um, and so my question about the financing is that doing this public-private partnership, how does that affect the affordability for the students where, um, and I don't know what the numbers are here, you know, and, and I think I know part of the answer from what you have all said, but um, if the developer in this partnership has to make a certain percentage to uh, be willing to uh, go ahead with a, a project like this, um, how does that affect the affordability for the students? Can we still do, you know, is, is it a lower-than-market rate uh, apartment for the students? Is that because... Uh, of the fact that we have the land and there is no land cost, um, or has anybody? Is there anywhere we can see that, or, or you know, a study that can be done, or is that kind of a study already been done where we can look at, you know, if the college developed it and, uh, versus you know this public partnership, uh, public partnership? How do how do those numbers work out? I mean, would would we have to rent them for higher rate because we're in this partnership than we would have if we did it ourselves? Uh, oh. Wow, there were a lot of questions in there. Um, let me think, but, but I think I, I can answer a little bit, and I think, Bob, you want to take a shot first? Or, no, go ahead. Uh, the, <laughs> I'll, I'll well, you know, um, it, it really goes to this feasibility study, uh, you know, when you start to look at it. it if we're talking, we're just landing on student housing right now. But, you know, student housing is... Um, is more is four bedrooms surrounding a central core. Very inexpensive to do. If we want to put in Viking refrigerators and six burner stoves and use cherry wood and all of those things, the prices go up. So part of the part of the we wouldn't do that. Part of the um, the process here is to look at what the market will bear, what you're trying to do, um, and then they will and depend on the number of units as well. So building 10 units wouldn't cut it. Nobody would do that, right, because you just can't make your return on it. Um, and I'm not doing a very good job, so I'm letting Bob, Bob handle this. Well, no, so, <laughs> so it, it, the only things that I would say, uh, first of all, Absolutely true. It's the type of unit that would be built more than anything else that increases the likelihood that it would be profitable or at a lower uh, rent. So if you're talking about a, a four-person unit with a central living area and kitchen, that's a lot easier to make profitable than a two-bedroom apartment or a one-bedroom apartment or, or anything of that nature. The other thing that makes having a third party do it more desirable is that, first of all, they have the expertise. We don't. Um, they also are the ones who would manage the facility. We wouldn't have to manage the facility. So it therefore, having a, a third party uh, operate the facility means that it doesn't take away facilities resources, campus police resources, other resources that are really needed to support the campus buildings and the educational mission of the college. I understand there were a lot of questions in there, but these are some of the things that 
would cross my mind, and I would hope that if we're moving forward with some studies, that mm-hmm. that we might be able to get some better information and answers. Mm-hmm. And it's not. I mean, you know, sometimes it, get, it seems big, you know, and it's a board of trustees, so it becomes a little odd to have this conversation. But if, but if you owned a if you owned a lot, you personally owned a lot in Napa, you'd do exactly the same thing. You would look at. I'm going to build a house. You'd figure out. What it cost? You get a bid. You you would look at the at the market, and then you would build to the to the level that you thought it made sense, right? And um, and so really, that's you know that's kind of in in general what we're doing. The the what makes this interesting is you you look. We have a lot of acreage and a lot of options here. So you know, starting the conversation this way. Could, I've heard people say, well, you could build 2,000 units. Yeah, probably. I mean, it'll, it'll hold 2,000 units, but would we want to do that? I mean, what's that do to traffic, right, or, or all those things, right? So the, the part of the pieces that student housing brings is reduction in traffic, um, people living on campus, increase in bike and pedestrian, sustainability issues. I mean, so there's a lot of those things that, that the city of Napa is very interested in. They're they're um, very interested in in us developing student housing because it relieves some of the tension and burden on the on the outlying demand. My my two sons live within a mile of here, and they're each paying a thousand, pretty close to a thousand for a ten by ten room right now. Actually, they're not paying the thousand, um, <laughs> but um, someone is. And um, when if if and when those kind of students move on campus, then it creates more backfill for some of the folks we've been talking about that would be able to afford um, houses and, and, and something else. So in some of it, that there's a good steward piece here that we're talking about as well. Amy? Kind of more comments, but just kind of what's swirling around in my head. Um, it has been for a while. Um, the first was, I guess I've always kind of been a little skeptical about the idea of focusing on student housing because I always think the reason why people go to a local community college is because you can live at home and go to school and not have to pay for housing. Um, and I know we have people from out of county, but I've seen the statistics, and I know most of them are from Solano County, um, Napa County, Solano County, Sonoma County, so within commuting distance. Um, I, I totally understand maybe the need for employee housing um, because mm-hmm. it's expensive to live here. Um, so I've always understood that could be a need. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second thing, just to Raphael's point and Gary Orton's point about the public-private partnership. I'm I'm concerned about that. I, I, private industry's motive is to make money, not to serve students. And so, uh, you know, I, I'd be concerned about entering into that kind of a partnership um, with a private developer. Um, and actually, one of the faculty members at one of the campus housing uh, forums brought up a really good point that has just sat with me, which is that, um, you know, after 30 years, we get it right is the time that maybe things are starting to break down. So do these private developers skim all the profit off the top and then leave us holding the bag, right, as it's starting to fall apart? So that's another thing I just want to put out there. Let me address a a couple things. And part of the study that um, our our friends from San Diego State did, and I um, will send you, is it stuck with me. They said, you know, the the non-traditional student, the 20 to 29, 30-year-old, that's our traditional student now. Absolutely, community colleges have changed. It's not really that 17 to 22-year-old who wants to live at home and his commute. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, there are plenty of those people, but we're really talking about 
primarily folks who were in their mid-20s trying to figure it out, you know, working, doing things, you know, that this would be for as well. I want want to be crystal clear again that the the people who build in in 501c3s, it's established for this particular purpose. Um, The developer makes what they make to build, to spec. I mean, so they're going to, it will be specified what they build. They can't, they're not going to skim. There's nothing to skim. I mean, they, they make their money on building it for, t- for time and materials. And if it, it makes sense, they'll take that job and build it. If it doesn't make sense, they won't. Um, so that, that uh, there's nothing to skim it, 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 if, um, if you're following me a little bit. And then the stream of income from rents is we, our best interest and the develop, developer's best interest and the 501c3's best interest is to keep all those costs low. Low as possible. You want you don't want uh, you don't want a bad project, but you want a very lean project. Um, so you can keep your prices down, so that, that when it's time to you know cut the ribbon, you've got five hundred dollar units versus fifteen hundred dollar units because people are not gonna they're not gonna pay fifteen hundred dollars for a bed, right? But they would probably stand in line to pay five hundred in a in a good something or four fifty or whatever the case may be. Um, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, please. Um, I remember when I went to the, one of the forums where this was discussed, and uh, I'm hearing a lot of the same thing, like the feasibility, what will the market bear, surveys, all of this. And it was my understanding coming away from the forum that that, would be, that, that process would be something that would be taken on by a developer, that it would not be done by the college. Is that Still correct. Your understanding is completely it's, correct. So at what point does this conversation get to the point where we're saying, okay, we're ready? Because yeah. otherwise we're just having the same conversation over and over again. It's a great question. Advanced slide, please. Oh, there you go. Um, so the, um, the um, second piece here. Yeah, basically it goes to a couple things. We, we we talked to a lot of folks on the phone and said, you know, what what is the best way to do this, right? And we I think we got some really good independent kind of consultant. They said, you know, if it were me, if I were you guys, I wouldn't do an RFP. Nobody's going to answer your RFP because you're really saying what you want to get done. Do an RFQ. Go out there and see, you know, ask people questions about their qualifications to do these kinds of things. That, you know, so that's a first step. We, we anticipated doing that now, but before and maybe over the next 30 days or so, getting people to qualify so we'd be able to come back with a, in, in April, hopefully, and say, you know what, we had four or five or ten or three or whoever it might be. They're very qualified folks. Between now and, and um, late April also, we wanted to do some brief surveys. These are qualitative, and we really, we really run around the bend board and 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 for you the audience you know do you ask do you ask a five question survey or do you do the hundred right and they're both there um so for students and gabriel and i had this conversation you know you know we want to we want to check with our present students because they'll give us a flavor of of their of their perception of about but they're going to be gone right i mean this is years away Years away. If we went fast track on this, we're still years away from this. Um, but it's important that we get students um, kind of building a legacy, and we, talk, we talked about that a little bit. Um, faculty and staff, the same thing. 
Um, I talked to Amanda about it. I've talked, I've talked to all the classified presidents and the council of presidents saying, you know, should we roll it out? Well, would you live on campus in a separate place that was a 7,000-square-foot penthouse for $100 a month? And the answer is yes, all day long, right? So we have to structure the survey questions so they're real, and we can kind of get a, a general piece of input on that. And that's also March, April. And then I think next, more important, um, we'll come back if, if the board is so direct staff next month um, for a feasibility and market demand study. Not, we're not paying for this. It would be somebody we're choosing from the RFQ who would then, on their dime, right, um, start the demand study. Would that be true of, of the survey as well? Because I, I do um, feel a little weird about us doing yeah. a survey when we don't really have You're the, so right. We I, don't have the expertise. Yeah. It's just simply, um, I think it, it, this is a part of, of trying to serve two masters here. I'm, I'm wanting to make sure that the board feels informed. I'm wanting really to make sure that, that college constituencies, faculty and staff and students, really feel involved in this. You know, the board went ahead and they didn't even ask. Uh, you know, so some of those questions I think are just fair. Um, whether or not we re rely on those heavily, no, but it will give us an indication. And then they'll start all over, really, in the feasibility study, which will take months, you know, looking at some of the, some of the field work. So that's, that's generally the schema that, you know, we had laid out. I, um, I, I guess, well, I like the idea of it being on somebody else's dime. I guess my concern is the idea of having an, a financially interested party doing the survey to determine if there's a need. Versus having a neutral party that doesn't have anything to do. It's a, it's my understanding a, from what you said before is it would actually be the developer conducting the survey. And, is that um, correct? No. No, it, so it would be it, a separate party. It might be. But the last thing they wouldn't want to do, see, when they, if, if a, let's just say that you and I were the developers and we, it's not in our interest to create a, uh, no, they don't get paid until these, they, they don't make a, a penny on anything until they sell their bonds. Mm -hmm. So you can't sell these bonds out there if the finances don't work. So they, the last thing they want to do is build something that's not um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Not financially feasible, right? So they don't make any money building it. So you and mentioned – so 12 community colleges have done it. Have they all done it in this way? No, no. Um, in fact, um, Feather River College – has used their independent, like our, our foundation, Napa Valley, um, they use their foundation who funded it up um, separately and because they are a 501c3 and they did it separately. Who's done it in this way? I can't answer you. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know. I haven't done that kind of a survey piece. I know uh, West Hills Kalinga has done it this way. Um, all the colleges on the bottom, Coast, ourselves, College of the Can anybody who's n n new to this is absolutely going this way because they found out the lessons. Our core strength is not building apartments or housing, and we don't really know how to do that nor run it. Universities are much better at it, but not community colleges. You know, so that yeah, I'm sorry, Kyle, and then we can wrap it if you want. I was just going to comment. I mean, I hear you, Gary. I hear you, Lou. Everybody that spoke this evening, and I'm a proponent of going and, and researching this more and doing a survey. I don't think we as a board would be doing our due diligence if we ignored this 
issue. I mean, this is an issue in our community. It affects our students, and it. I'm encouraged, and I find strength just in the process and the discussion right now. I just wanted to comment on that. I would, and I'm just going to cap on that just a little bit. It, I'm excited about your comment and this board's kind of leaning this direction. Uh, you know, I know it's something that, that the district and the boards have been trying to do for decades, so maybe the timing's right just to kind of move to it. Um, and so um, prudence, reasonable steps, very careful, a lot of transparency. That's the key on this thing. The last thing that we want to do is, a, you know, I'm sure you want to do as a board is take a misstep on this. Um, so um, our job is to work, work it together very slowly. All good? Yeah. I just want to uh, echo uh, Kyle's comment that, you know, I know for a fact of students from Calistoga who rather go to Santa Rosa Junior College mm -hmm. that rather than dealing with the traffic in the mornings and in the afternoon going to Napa Valley College. And I'm sure it's the same thing with Solano County students, you know, who wants to dread the Highway 12 mm -hmm. um, commute. And so if it's so for students and if we have faculty that works outside of, I mean, that lives outside of, of Napa, I'm sure they're facing that too. Maybe as well. We have, the, you know, our, our services, student services are um, absolutely fantastic here. And the faculty and teaching is unbelievable. You know, I, my, I testify because my kids go here, right? They're my, they're my spies. Um, and um, they love their classes. And the, I agree with you. Uh, you know, I believe the international students w might um, come here, BWT, um, and hospitality, performing arts, and transfer. It could be, all be a good thing. So are you just asking for direction on the next step, which is the brief surveys within the internal constituencies? Well, this is not an action item for you. So it's it's basically, I'm trying to get a, a sense of the board's um, direction. And I think if you were looking for direction, it would be from the chair to say, yes, continue continue on this and and we'll, we'll address what's kind of laid out in April. That would be appropriate. It seems to me from the people who have spoken that um, that it is a, a kind of a direction that the board wants to go. We kind of move to the next. If I may, yes. Um, um, what comes to mind attending many of the graduations for our criminal justice program, police academy, corrections, these are, uh, when we had a uh, game warden program, these are students that are coming long distance, and some have been supported by their sponsors, such as uh, um, police agencies and so on and so forth, for apartments or um, hotels here while they complete their 22-week or nine-month program. We've seen it in the culinary arts up in, in uh, St. Helena. Uh, students, are, are, our net is very broad. It's bringing in students from all over the country. And, and, again, to uh, underscore the, the viticulture program and looking forward. So uh, worthy of further exploration. I'd like to say, um, I, don't, I don't know, I guess th these brief surveys, if that's what you're talking about, if overall my feeling is I, I've kind of regretted kind of being part of the, the nod going forward the last time, not because I'm opposed to the idea in the future, just because of accreditation and what's going on with accreditation. And that takes a lot of time. 
And so that was my only concern is that I kind of would like to see us get through accreditation successfully before we spend any more time on this personally, just because there's only so much time that you guys have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if there are any findings, we're going to have six months to fix them. And I would want our first priority to be focused on ensuring our accreditation. So that's that's just me. Well, I, I would hope that um, Dr. Kraft and, and uh, the, his council of presidents and everyone else would be able to prioritize if that became an issue. I think we could. Um, I think we could. So I, I think in general the board is, is uh, in favor of moving forward with that. Kelsey? Uh, just um, to reiterate, I believe this is what's being said, but also from a student's perspective, um, that students are given priority. Mm-hmm. Students, faculty are given priority, um, not at all opposed to extending it further into the community as long as students have been given the priority. Thank you. I, I have a list of the 12, and I found the closest one, which is in Rockland. Mm-hmm. It's Sierra College. It's an hour and 22 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking, I didn't know if the land use committee wanted to make a field trip. If not, I would be interested in making a field trip over with a couple other trustees to look at that. I just think it would be good to look at some other colleges that have done it, you know, and to talk to them. Um, you know, we have their experience. They've piloted it to not talk to them and learn about their experiences, I think, mm-hmm. would be a mistake. So well, We can get I, I closer for you. I think we're ready to... To go ahead. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm just setting it up. Okay. Now we're down to 11.3, National Immigration Policy Discussion. Dr. Kraft? Yeah. Um, I, the, the, I talked to the board, and um, I think we discussed it during my president's report last month um, in terms of um, having, having the board have a, at least a brief discussion here in open session about the immigration policy, not not focusing on the on politics so much, but focusing on the needs of our students, which is central. Um, is as you know, in my president's report last time, we took a, a certain number of steps that we put in place here at the college. There's been lots and lots of information that has flowed on uh, on immigration policy, DACA students, um, in spe- uh, specifically. And so I thought this would be a good time for us, or the board at least, to express um, their desire for either um, future action, which could include a resolution from the board, or direction to staff, however that might be. And um, um, it's it's a fairly open kind of conversation. Um, I would say that uh, I I note that um, Oscar DeHaro is, um, uh, and I have spoken, and we've spoken in cabinet. I see Craig um, out there, Alamo has already spoken, and um, so we have some experts here who might um, add um, depth to to the conversation. I didn't mean to volunteer you, Craig, but I see you out there. So, um, so I, it's just kind of um, your um, your call to discuss. I, I would say finally that early on, uh, um, I can't even remember when this is. It is it two months now since the election? Three? Yeah, three months. Three months since the election, a lot has happened. Um, right out of the chute, m- many colleges and schools responded pretty quickly um, in terms of this, and they've had to back up from some of their initial vantage points because some of the things that they wanted to do um, 
we're frankly not in the not we're not able to do as a district. You know, so so I, I caution the board about you know um, if if you're forward in a resolution, you want to craft a resolution that is um, doable, legal, follows Ed Code, follows state law and federal law, and um, that so that was that kind of the the codicil for him. So with that, it's all yours. So going off of what you just said, I, I, I saw that, you know, the state was passing a number of laws about state agencies complying with federal enforcement actions and, and inquiries and, and that sort of thing. And that was my, obviously, we, we want to support all our students. Um, and uh, certainly the, this group especially is, is you know, vulnerable. And I think deserves um, that attention um, while keeping in mind that, that I don't think we can do something that's going to make our entire uh, student body, you know, suffer in some other way. Like we lose, we lose uh, federal funding that, that affects the entire college. Um, has anybody, now you, you mentioned that, that some schools have backed backed up from their original position. Has anybody kind of figured out, uh, has the chancellor's office figured out what we can do and cannot do? Model, uh... so, so I've been looking at quite a bit of what the chancellor's office has been saying as well as comparing it to what I'm noticing some of the early adopters were really far-reaching. And in my opinion, they were doing things that, just put the spotlight on them. Um, and so, you know, a couple of things that I've seen recently from the chancellor's office as well as um, uh, from some of the other resolutions that other school districts are doing are things that are putting some process in place. So it's saying, you know, nobody can come onto the campus without first going through, you know, a certain process to the superintendent's office or there has to be some kind of notification or, um, you know, our campus isn't a campus that can just be, you know, invaded by whoever wants to to do so. So there's, there's that, um, just putting that type of, some type of process that, in place so that somebody's not sitting in class, um, you know, looking over their shoulder all day long. So that was one of the things. Um, the other thing, you know, just uh, talking about it being a safe place, there's also uh, what I understand is that there's a state DACA as well as the federal, so there's also some protections from the state that um, uh, also would be in place aside from the federal DACA policy or uh, uh, legislation. And then the chancellor also has a hotline for us to reach out to at any point in time, I don't know if that means, you know, a, a certain faculty member. Does that mean, you know, it has to come from the uh, president's office or where, but there's this hotline number to reach out to. 
So I think, I guess what I'm saying is it would be great if we could really put this, you know, drive our resolution with more or less process, you know, but also what I think um, it should accomplish is also the, allowing the students to feel comfortable to have this conversation because I have heard from a student um, who said to me that people are afraid to talk. They're afraid to have these conversations here. So I'd like whatever we do to make students feel comfortable to have these conversations. Um, just a couple of things. I, I There was a press release just today um, from uh, Tom Torlickson's office, the state superintendent, superintendent that he had written a letter to the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security asking for clarification on what federal officers can and will do on uh, with regard to campuses, including college and, and university campuses. So there might be some information coming. Um, also, I know that this is a conversation we've been having a lot at the school district. And I kind of the general feeling I've been getting is that people in the city want to do something, people at the county level want to do something, people here seem to want to do something, and nobody wants to take the first jump. And I, and I'm, and I know that there's also some hesitation about, you know, what can we do? Um, and I think that the, some of the hesitation has been just because of concern about getting out in front of something that you don't really have any real legal standing on, but I think at the very least, well, two things. One, I, I think it would be worth having a conversation, getting into conversation with some of these other um, government groups to see, you know, can we do it together if nobody's willing to take the first step? And then also, can we at the very least come out with some sort of a statement, even if it's not a um, what we will do, just what we believe or should be done? Yeah. Um, so on the chancellor's website, there's a list of, um, there's links to all the different community college resolutions, but there's also the chancellor's office, their resolution, and I think it would be pretty safe to model ours after theirs. Um, and one of the things I like about theirs is that um, it broadens it out. It, it, it's, it addresses all vulnerable populations, um, and kind of the core of it is, it says, um, I have it in front of me, it says, uh, resolve the state's chancellor's office will not cooperate with any efforts to create a registry of individuals based on any protected characteristics such as religion, natural, national origin, race, or sexual orientation. So I like that it includes all the different groups. Um, but that's kind of the core of it, is that basically they would not cooperate with the efforts to create a registry. Um, and then they go on to say that they encourage local community colleges to do the same, to not cooperate with any kind of efforts to create a registry. So I, I think that could be a component. But anyway, I think we could take the chancellors and just localize it, make it you know at the local level versus at the state level. That could be a safe way to go. Conchita, you, you had a speaker card for this item. Do you want to come up and, and speak? I would like to just say one thing, if I can, about the presentation on the housing. I'm sorry, I just I just want to say it because at this point, the way the presentation was made, 
it basically cuts out any affordable housing for community members. It's there's that requirement that you have to be affiliated with the with the college, and I'm just wondering why that has to be there. That seems to really kind of bring who qualifies into a much smaller area, a much smaller group. So I'm just throwing that out. If you guys, if there's some other way of doing it without, and I understand, the, I, I really think the priority has to be students and faculty and administrators. I agree with you. But there's a lot of land there. <laughs> so I'm thinking if you could let some of it go to community people, it would be really nice. Okay, I just said that. Uh, on immigration, um, thank you. Amy, I was just—I had just read that. I, I went on and looked at different re resolutions before I came here, and um, the chancellor was very strong. And I did think one of the one of the and what what um, Marianne was saying uh, is very important. It it should be pro, you know it should be the procedure and how this how how things are going to um, how the college is going to deal with this issue. But it said here, um, the Monterey Peninsula Community College said, be it further resolved that the Monterey Peninsula Community College shall not release confidential student records, including information related to immigration status, without a judicial warrant, subpoena, or court order, unless authorized by the student or required by law. So it, I really think, and also to see what comes in from the state, the state is it has said, and I don't know where they are on this, but um, that they're going to be very strong in their protection of undocumented. And, and Javier Becerra has also said that. So I think a resolution would be really good, but to really um, uh, find out what is the state going to do, what kind of backup do we all have, because obviously Trump is going to keep moving forward on this very, very, very um, doggedly. So, and, and the other thing, though, that I think is important is to put something in there very positive about, and that's what some of these resolutions do, that California's diversity is a great source of innovation in industry, and that, you know, that... We're one of the biggest economies in the world and an economic engine for the United States. So we put in the positive stuff, what, the do, what, what immigrants and undocumented are doing, then how we protect them. And also the other thing is approximately one-tenth of California's workforce is undocumented. Wow. And contributes $130 billion annually to its gross domestic product. So, I mean, I think that it can be a combination of of what's, you know, the positive, what we can do to protect our undocumented, and once we know what the state is willing to do, what kind of backup are we going to get? And what and the and the law, I mean the courts are are we don't know where the courts are going to go on this. It's certainly the um, Muslim uh, ban got, you know, it got fried in the court, so let's see what's going to happen in the courts on this too. So anyway, I just hope that the that that Napa Valley College will do a you know a very a, a resolution giving support to the undocumented, but obviously taking care that, like you said, everything is legal and 
doesn't impact the the college as far as much as you can. That's all I want to say, but I do think that the situation is so serious that everybody we got to move on this and we got to make sure our people know that they're that our undocumented know that they're that we are behind them. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much and thanks for looking at this issue and for coming up as soon as possible with a a positive resolution. Thank you. Thank you. Kyle, comments? I uh, am, I support going forward, but uh, with a resolution of some sort, but I want to make sure that we're following what law is out there that we know. So maybe taking the, the lead from the league or the chancellor's office would be a good start. And to just to address law, I did get from uh, Assemblymember Aguilar's uh, office, there are a couple of bills being proposed that will protect that the state will have legally protection um, of undocumented, so students and otherwise. But but there is one, one that focuses very directly on um, students. Okay, well, I think, Michael? Uh, uh, yes, I, I just have a, a question. So there, what's, what's the pathway that we're setting up? So you're an adult, you're a student, you're undocumented. So we just leave it at that? Is there a pathway? Is there counseling? Is there direction as far as that student? As far as what, what can I do? What, what can I, not just us saying something, but let's do something to open up those, those uh Cut through the chains or open those gates or to as an option is it citizenship or is it an option something uh, direction towards a visa or direction towards something make it to get out of the shadows and, and you know, I'm a student I'm an adult I, you know, yes it was my parents but or yes it was some other way I got here but what's what's next I think and I don't know those and, and that's I know that's a, in the field. that's a real complicated issue because a lot of these students are undocumented because they don't have a path. The immigration law is federal, so they, they don't have a path. They don't have a basis to legalize. They're, their parents, which would be the, the first place you, you would look, are undocumented, um, so they can't do that. Um, they can't, uh, through employment, they can't do that. Um, student visas, Get, they get student visas. Uh, there's probably a possibility there for some people, uh, but for those that are under 18, uh, age, all of this thing, a lot of factors matter. But most of these people are undocumented because they have no basis, no pathway to legalize. So it's not like we can do anything about that uh, other than possibly counseling to determine if because there are people out there that don't realize they do have a path. Sometimes you, sometimes it's kind of uh, you, you have to take various steps. Um, you know, uh, there's some possibility for some people that, that they don't actually realize that that is there. So something like that, but we can't really do anything. Or you can't ask the question, or you can't provide guidance. Or, but, 
Well, you, you, I mean, if your counsel provide guidance, that's one thing, but I don't see that we could do anything beyond that. Well, I think have that, that conversation in student services at all. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, curious actually about. Actually, the, 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 the path that I think they want to establish is the assurance or the reassurance that at least there's a path to education because what's, what's happening is that many students are now thinking twice about coming to college. We, we, we've had this, this population at this college and, and, and our community colleges for a number of years. It's just this, this, this new this phenomenon of, of this incitement, of this fear uh, that has created now many students going back into the shadows and not feeling I mean, that comfortableness of, of, of coming to college. Because even here in California, there's financial aid for students who are, who are, who are undocumented. There's, there's other services. There's programs. But the resolution that you will, will develop needs to reiterate and reassure them that those services and that welcome and that safety net is going to exist here. Because if it doesn't include those, those elements, then there is no pathway of any kind for anything here for them. Well, I think we do have to be a little cautious, though, about um, saying that we can d- protect people when we can't. Um, because even if we were to declare ourselves a sanctuary district, that doesn't actually give anyone any legal protections. Um, I think that, you know, what was it, the Monterey one that somebody quoted about saying that, you know, that we at the very, we're not going to cooperate <laughs> unless we absolutely have to. Um, but it's, we have to be, there's a fine line, I think, that we have to be careful about what we about promising people something we can't give them. Yeah, I think you that's... know what, what you, you know what's happening is that I, I, I had this this afternoon I had a conversation and a meeting with with members of student government, and and they started this this series called the Fire Chat series, and one of the one of one of the topics that's that's on for the April meeting, I think it's April the twentieth, which is uh which is an evening uh, evening presentation about two hours long or so. In the little theater uh, is going to be on on this topic, which is immigration, and their idea is to bring uh, bring folks who are who are experts in this field. For example, as Mariam uh, as Madopoulos, uh will will be invited, as will Chief Potter will be invited, as well as other individuals and DACA students will will be invited to have this this conversation, to have those individuals who don't feel that they can speak out, to make it into into an environment where they feel safe you to speak out, and also ask those questions, the ones that. Michael's asking, what, what, what pathways are there? And so there is a conversation started, uh, and student government is taking a lead on that as well. So it sounds like there's two parts to this. It sounds like there's, you know, here's the resolution. Here's what we're going to do our best to. Here's our stand, our statement, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's also... What uh, what student services are doing by, you know, trying to take that to the next step of having those kind of conversations. I think it's it's not a one, you know. There's not just one one pill to uh, cure it. And um, I, I realize, and we have folks in you know Howard's out there and Craig's out there, and there are many. We we are doing many things at the college now, but I didn't want it to be a presentation of what we're doing necessarily, but to hear where you would like it to go. So I think we have, I think staff, I think I have a pretty good idea of your tone and tenor. Yeah, uh, Mr. Ketron. Thank you, Mr. President and Board. May I suggest that um, you consider making part of your resolution a request to Congress 
that anyone who's attending or graduates from a community college or from college be given a pathway to citizenship. That's great. Okay, so I think... Um, yeah, so I think... Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I think we... Um, I have a good feel, you know, for where you're going. And, and um, I think what I understand from this is that we'll, we'll, we'll look at it. We'll come back. So in April, you can have, prior to that, we'll roll a resolution out. Um, I would hate to have you have to craft it real time. So um, we can work together, I think, and then you can um, take a shot. Can I, can I ask, because I know the topic was immigration policy, but there again there's a lot of students that are feeling unsafe right now so i hope that it's inclusive again of the other yes populations yeah no i heard that i heard that um loud and clear as well and um and i did one of the uh things that i heard i thought was maybe to michael's point the there's unprecedented um applications for citizenship right now people are a bit fr- afraid that if they don't you know, follow that path and get citizenship right now, it may be too late. So if there is a silver lining at all, it's maybe that people who are waiting, waiting, waiting or and could and do have a pathway are now, you know, exercising that. So It's people who qualify for citizenship. Exactly, I, so, you know. But, yeah. you know. So thank you. I know it's a difficult and touchy uh, conversation, but um, it's up to you. If you want to roll it up or, uh, you know, I don't know if Craig wants to. Craig would like to say something. Craig, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, thanks everybody for uh, let me come up real quick. I think one thing I want to um, one one piece. Oh. Can you just let them know your the, um, your yeah? Your role? Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, this is my first time at a uh, board of trustees meeting, so don't have all the rules down here. Um, so my name is Craig Alamo. I am the director for equity and inclusivity here at the college. Um, been here since uh, around the summer. So in my short time here, um, I've learned, uh, I've been getting out and speaking with some folks in the community and have been building a lot of, a number of relationships with folks who work in the larger uh, Napa area as well. I guess what I would say is um, what I would like to add, I guess, and I, and I appreciate the folks who have sort of spoken about sort of the fears that are, that are around, and I, I want to reiterate some of that. We have... You know, regardless of your political leanings, we've had a lot of rhetoric that has come up to the election and a lot of stuff that has happened after the election that is connected to a lot of that rhetoric that happened before then. And what I can tell you from some of my interactions with folks um, even outside the campus is the way in which that uh, there's increases in mental health problems uh, associated with some of the fears that we're talking about, um, that there is public safety problems related with folks not wanting to be able to report to the police for fear that they may be deported. Um, and so this is a, this is um, a, a real, obvious, obviously many of you have already recognized that this is a real problem in our, in our community, in, even outside the college, right? So, um, so I guess what I wanted to add is, you know, what is it that we want to say that how we are aligning with the folks who are in our county or in our larger community that, will make them feel safe to be here or make them feel safe to continue to, to, to uh, pursue their goals here at the campus. Um, I know we get, and I know we have to pay attention to some of the laws and some of those things, and I'm not an expert on some of those things. Lots of folks in the community who are. Um, 
but the way in which that i guess what i'm what i wanted to say is let's uh this is an opportunity for us to be really clear uh with our larger community about what our values are and how people are welcome to be here and to better themselves here at the at the, at the college so um in in the context of my talks with folks outside and, and frankly inside the community there's there's been some pieces around where people are not believing the impacts and i want to say that the impacts are significant um which is why i'm sharing what i'm sharing so thank you for your time thank you thank you so just another comment um, a, a week can make a difference in people's lives um, I don't know if it's possible to have do something before before the 30 days or before the April meeting, which will be about a week longer than usual. You, if you were going to take action, you'd have to call a special. special I think meeting. for that, right, Carolee? Is that the only? That's the only thing I can think of. You know, we could certainly do a. Um, I can certainly, as a president, release a statement um, prior to that time, but that doesn't. That's not really getting at. And I already have done that, but um, I think I you're. Think I think a, you're going to have to wait. I think there's a bit of work here yeah. to be done, a little yeah. research too. So I think that would be too quick. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. So let's see. Where are we? Four. Board policy manual, chapter two, administrative regulation. Dr. Kraft. Um, this was, I think this came up from our training. It also came up from, um, request. your request. I think, uh, you know, several trustees over the past year have, have talked about this. Um, there were a couple, I think trustee Martinson forwarded over MVUSDs and, and we looked at it a little bit and we looked at some of the other, other, um, folks and we thought this AR would be good. The reason the ARs generally uh, do not come to the board for, their consideration, but this is an AR that underlines your ability to do something. So um, it's it's here really as a um, as a discussion item, I believe. Let me make sure that I'm on the right thing. Just yeah, um, yeah, good. It's a discussion item just to get your input on it, and then you know the the president institutes ARs, and and if there's some change here that the board feels is important, that's great. This feels as a good shot for me at least. I just made one note. Um, I think that there's, it talks about, um, you know, if there's a priority, if there's not a priority to put it off for a couple months, but then I think there's a third option, and that is if the chair decides that it just isn't relevant or it's not part of the board's business, that it wouldn't happen at all, right? Well, is, if it's not what, within our jurisdiction, you know, it's not part of, yeah, so let's say a board member brings up something to be on the agenda that just isn't relevant for the board's business. That's in here. And we, we just wouldn't do it. <laughs> Does it? I, felt I, like can, it I can give you a, a couple of examples. I mean, I think it's this is within the jurisdiction, and it's really going to go to your board chair, your elected board chair, who's going to have – uh, at least some influence over this. So when I sat on a board, somebody was definitely, absolutely, they wanted to do fluoride in the drinking water and how it was poisoning folks. And they and because you're teaching about fluoride in nursing, therefore, 
it's it's in the purview of the board. Um, we didn't allow it because we just didn't want to go that direction. So there are those those pieces. Um, I, I think it, it's. Um, I, I don't know. I think I, maybe within the jurisdiction is is there. I don't know how to get at it. Any better. But yeah, I think that okay. addresses right. that. I'm with. Um, yeah. Amy. Hey. Um. I would I when I forwarded the NVOSD, I wasn't forwarding it that we had to have it like theirs. What I was showing was that they had the same process for community members as board members, so it was very simple. So what I would really like is for the board policy to come forward and just we have a process for community members. They have to submit it in writing two weeks before the meeting. I just wanted to add in and board members so that we just have the same process for community members as board members. I know Raphael mentioned he liked the idea of having a deadline um, and because nobody ever looks at these ARs. So I just don't want to be, I, I think it be, should be in the board policy and just have, have it add and board members. And so it's clearly laid out in our board policy. I'm glad there's this AR, but I think it would be good to have it in the board policy as well. The, I guess my, I'm trying to think. Um, I wish I had the other one in front of me. I think the issue would be the the way that the board policy. And I'll have to ask Caroline. You may or may not know, but I think our I think our community policy um, is submitted in writing to the to me, and then I have the ability to move it forward or not. That may may not be what you want. Um, I think this is broader and brings in other folks. Um, so it, like the fluoride piece, or it didn't make sense, or it's like I, I don't think this is queued up. Um, the the other piece, I think this gives us, this is not more restrictive, I think. It's more directed towards the board itself. And and I think once you understand it, every board member is going to know you have this here, right? And what we didn't want to do as, as well, and I think this is a little bit, is make sure that um, – we want to make sure that the that the board doesn't oversaturate itself because you 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 know you could each bring five things um, each time and then how do we how do we kind of juggle those and pull those up so that was also a consideration. Well, it, the other one has the same exact language. It has it also has to be within the jurisdiction of the board for the community as well. It has to be within the jurisdiction actually of the college. Um, so it still has that filter. Um, I think it's even a little more strict because it actually gives a deadline. It says it has to be submitted two weeks before in writing as well. So it's pretty much the same. The only difference is, is it would be in our board policy um, versus an AR that, you know, that people don't look at those. So people go to our straight to our board policies, which are very prominent. They don't really look at these ARs. Well, this, this AR is just for you, just the seven of you. I mean, you know, so the board, the other policy is for for the regular public, so... You guys will certainly thinking down the road. You know, I don't know. We went. Through, we, it's taken so long to address this issue of agendas. I'd hate to have a future board have to go through this. It'd be nice, in my opinion, just to have it clearly stated in our bylaws. Those are our bylaws. The chapter two on agendas. That's the chapter on the board. I think it would be good to have it there. Right. Yeah. This, yeah. But in the board policy, I, I was in favor of having it separate for just the board. Um, and the board is the only one that would ever look at this. I mean, you, you keep saying that nobody looks at these. Well, the board does, and that's who it's for. Um, 
So I, I'm in favor of moving forward as is. I don't see any any changes that I I would request from this. Kyle, I don't know if we, I just came back. I apologize, but uh, if we're doing a straw, I'm in support of keeping them separate. I mean, I think it's really for the board. So if we're doing a straw poll, then I like separating the two of them. So is this the AR for it, the agenda policy? Because usually an AR is backed up to a policy. So is this the AR for the policy on agendas? It is. Yeah. That's 2340. Okay. And if uh, you wish to create a longer process for members of the public, 2340 AR is available still. So okay. this is 41. Um, and I would caution you not to take a straw vote or a poll because right. this is not an action item. Kyle retracts those comments. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it was here to try to make sure that we, you do have a pathway. So, you know, so it does create a pathway for it. And um, what I would say is I, based on what I'm hearing, I'll, I'll post it and, and it will be, and it will be a, a nice pathway for you to get items on right away. Against having this as the AR. I, yeah. And we could always add it to the board policy if we wanted to at some point. At so. a later time, you could right. t- retool it and work on it. But I think for now, it's a great thing to do. Thank All you. right. Thank you. Let's, um, let's move on to 12, consent calendar. Any issues? See no issues raised by anyone. The consent calendar is adopted by unanimous consensus. Is that correct? <laughs> the correct term? All right, so that uh, brings us to 13 action items. Uh, well, now, we, are, we haven't done one yet. This is, where's the? This is the resolution. The res, this is the resolution. 13.1. Uh, 13.1, is, is there a uh, motion to approve? So move. Second. Second. Discussion? I just I was going to suggest language as far as the second paragraph um, where it says they've made substantial progress in developing facility plans. Uh, just again to get in this idea that they're supporting our facility plans. Um, you know what I mean? They're not doing this on their own. Is there any way we could just say something like substantial progress in supporting and developing facility plans with the college or something to that effect, just the idea that this, they're not doing this on their own. The second one. Second one. Developing facility plans with the college or supporting the college's facility plans would be even better, in my Maybe opinion. In coordination with the college's planning process and facilities master plan, you could be really specific. Something like that. that, just the idea that it's supporting our plans. They're not, it's not something they're doing in a vacuum or on their own. Um. Whereas the Napa Valley College Foundation Board of Directors in support of has made substantial progress. Do we supporting the really like what Carolee said? <laughs> yeah, what did she say? Yeah, we could make it. Yeah, Whatever I think that said. assertion is good. <laughs> what she said. Yeah, developing facility plans in coordination, in coordination with the college's planning process and facilities master plan. There we go. Can we? Yeah. Yep. 
So with that change. Yeah. <laughs> with that change. Do we need a new You do who made the yeah, you have to amend. Uh Kyle, was that Yes. I'll accept it as amended and uh, your motion. Yeah. Okay, there'd be no further comments or discussion. Carol Lee, can we call the vote? I think it should be open. Oh, I got him. I guess so. Is that it? Come on, Rosada, you don't want to be the last one. <laughs> uh, Michael, can I record your vote? I'm sorry that it you're... Is yes. So the resolution passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on, 13.2, the 2017 accreditation follow-up report. We do have a speaker card on that item, Mr. Ortman. My name is Gary Orton. I'm a resident of Napa. I've got several points. Um, when I reviewed this earlier in the week, <clears throat> I requested to see a copy of the three-year financial plan. It was not attached in the uh, packet. There's a, and that would be in Exhibit D. There are a number of documents. Uh, I was sp specifically interested in the, the three-year financial plan and the technology plan. I was told that the three-year financial plan was a draft. It's not complete. And the technology plan apparently is not done yet. It won't be available until sometime later. So you have a fiduciary responsibility here. You are giving a report. I, don't, I would never write a blank check, and you're writing a blank check to let somebody put an exhibit in there. If, if in fact, they, ha they haven't been completed, but I don't know. That's what I was told. Those, those reports aren't. They, and the, the one report that I was able to find online, I believe this was a three-year financial report that was approved, I think, by the Budget Committee. There's only one page, and you look at the numbers, and those are the numbers for the unrestricted budget, and the restricted budget are on there. So, um, for example, on the unrestricted budget, the capital outlay is uh, budgeted to be $270,000 in the unrestricted budget. In the restricted budget, it's $1.1 So, I mean, those are some big numbers. Than those. So, you know, you need to really consider whether you want to approve something with missing documents, which raises another issue, this whole issue about the financial plan. Um, is this a plan that this board reviews? Are you aware of, have you had discussions about the assumptions in this budget? I mean, there's a whole bunch of assumptions that really should take place in public, too, because part of it is the assumption having to do with stirs and purrs in the next several years. They're listed here at 3%. They could be way more than 3%. A lot of people are saying oh, they're going to be way more than 3% a year, which is going to throw this really out of whack. So, I mean, those are questions as a, as a process question. And I'm I'm not saying that you can't eventually figure something out, but it is a process question as to whether or not this board should be approving things that you don't have the full documentation on. Now, the other problem I have is on page 35 of the um, report. I've alluded to this before, um, and what it, it, the, I'm, I think that the 
statement made on in the last bullet point on page 35 is this as the college has revised its approach to the campus master plan by shifting toward a district asset management system to consider options for leveraging physical resources to support college needs i haven't heard that there is a system but so i think that statement is um first of all to say leverage i think it's a vague term um, I think it mischaracterizes and possibly is misleading. I, I think you can easily change it to say the college um, has considered options to produce income by using physical resources to support college needs. It doesn't talk about a system. You, you, you don't have a system. You don't have a policy. So just say that you're considering options to produce some income. That should solve the problem. Um, and while I'm at it, on the third bite of the apple here, talking about housing, um, and, and the, because that's what we're talking about, the, the, the leverage. Uh, I think there's some great questions that were asked. I, if, and I have some doc. I have. I started to study this when I started learning about this housing thing, and I knew basically about public-private. But there are a lot of good resources out there. Most of them are somewhat biased because they're consultants that want to get your money to consult you. But there are some good resources from the National Association of um, College and University Business Officers. I'm sure Bob's aware of them. And they have some good articles. And let me just tell you, there are numerous risks in public-private doing you can eliminate, you know, reduce a lot of those risks, but you ought to know what those risks are. You ought to have a process to, for figuring out what those risks are. You ought to have a process for figuring out at least what the rough magnitude of the benefits will be. You ought to have a process of hiring a good consultant because if you go public-private, you will be swimming with sharks. You need some good shark repellent. Get some sharp people that, because there's a whole bunch of negotiation that goes on because they're going to try to put stuff on you to take more risk, and you're, and you're not going to want to take those risks. It's, it's complicated. So you're going to chew up a lot more time than you think of staff time in putting stuff together. You've got to be aware of that. You want to have a process, a policy, to make sure you monitor that carefully. That's my third bite of the apple tonight. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, so... So, oh, there you are. I was like, I thought she left. No, she waited this whole time, and then she left. Um, Dr. Warnall is um, coming up to uh, talk about this. If you but need it, unless something. there's a maybe, there maybe you don't need a detailed description. But um, Robin's here for that, if you'd like. I don't know if we need a detailed description, but um, I was just going to give kind of a broad overview for you. Um, so I am pleased to bring this item before you for action tonight. The March 2017 follow-up report represents the culmination of work by faculty and staff across the institution over the past year or so. Uh, there are 90 pieces of evidence provided in support of the follow-up report. The follow-up report was drafted through a focused exercise, and the report directly addresses the three recommendations which we received in February 2016 as required by the Accrediting Commission. I think we are well positioned for the follow-up visit, which will be later this month on March 24th. At that time, a team of five members will visit campus for one day to interview members of the campus community and review any additional evidence needed to complete their external evaluation. 
Five members of the follow-up team, uh, the five-member follow-up team includes four people that participated in the 2015 site visit. Um, that includes a college president, a vice president of academic affairs, a chief business officer, and a researcher. And our team has been uh, rounded out by one uh, faculty member who did not participate in the 2015 uh, site visit. Uh, yesterday, I completed the final review of the follow-up report uh, for edits, which I would describe as minor refinements, so a few typos like end parentheses that we're missing, um, some consistency of formatting and uh, clarification, just general things of that nature. Um, I plan to post the final version of the follow-up report on the accreditation portion of the college website tomorrow following the action that you will take uh, tonight. So the timeline moving forward, um, hopefully you all are pretty familiar with it by now. But um, So we send the report and associated evidence to the ACCJC and team members by March 15th. But I am really hoping that we will send those materials out tomorrow so that it will be out of my life. Um, the site visit will then take place on March 24th, uh, approximately one month or within a month uh, after that. Dr. Kraft will receive a draft of the team's report, and he will then work with staff to review the port, report, and that's our opportunity to correct any errors of fact. That's what the purpose of the review is. So after uh, the input that uh, Dr. Kraft provides on the draft report, uh, the team will then finalize the report and submit it to the ACCJC uh, for consideration and action by the commission at its meeting in June, and that's scheduled for June 7th to 9th. Uh, the college will then receive notification of the commission's action approximately 30 days after the meeting, and given the timing of the July 4th holiday, I would anticipate uh, receiving the letter certainly by the second week in July. Uh, so with the exception of the board chair, all of the signatures have been collected for the certification page, uh, that, and that is included as uh, following the, the cover page of the report, and I'm hoping to collect Trustee Rios' signature following your action this evening. But before that, I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have about the March 17th, March 2017 follow-up report. Jennifer. I, I had one question about, it, it, which is also on page 35, um, there is a reference to the district asset, wait, I'm sorry, re, district real property asset review ad hoc committee. And, with, and it's, it says in here that the purpose of that committee was to be looking at these options for leveraging physical resources. And I didn't get the impression that that was what that committee was created for. And so I'm just wondering why that's included here. Is it really necessary to even have it in there? Because it does. It feels disingenuine to me because that's. I went back and I listened to the meeting, and that's not the conversation that we had when we uh, created that ad hoc committee. So. Well, I can I can address it, and we can we can also I you know I'll be at the language. You know, I hear how you're interpreting it, and Gary, you know, pointed it out as well. Um, I, I don't think that it, it – he may have said it better, actually, than um, that than may, it might read. I think changing it is probably not material. Um, the, the purpose of that committee was to um, work together to meet your goal that you've stated as a, as a board – at least to me, 
to um, explore revenue-generating sources through the facilities. So um, part of what they were to do, rather than just me do it solo, was to be able to organize and represent the board. So these kinds of um, oh uh, ideas that r- are rolling in, you know, whether whether it's uh, baseball or something else or something on Mount Vitor in the future or whatever it might be, have a place to land in terms of uh, of a of a committee at the board level. So I think what this is indicating in terms of accreditation, if I were out here in accreditation study reading it, my interpretation would be the board has moved forward to establish a subcommittee to help them. I don't want. I wish I had Gary's word to help them. Um, you know, look at revenue possibilities through alternative sources, which was. Um, Included early on in 2012, 2013, and 14 in the way forward, it, it, it is in that document and other documents. So it's not a new thought, but I, I get your point. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this could be something that we had maybe my first email to you to put something on the agenda. I, I really think it's important going forward that we be really clear about what our committees are supposed to be doing and need to write these things down because – Again, I went back. I have no problem with a committee that's being described like this existing. I'm just saying that that is not what the conversation that I recall when we did create that committee. And I don't. <laughs> so good. I, you know, I would say, you know, from, from my vantage point, I would say, you know, um, our I would not recommend any changes in this at all at this late date. Robin's going, please, no. Um, you know, it, it isn't it isn't material, and I think it it doesn't reflect. I do I do believe we captured it now, live and for posterity. I also believe that um, fine tuning that the d- description of that committee is probably it's a kind of couple emails, and I think we've all kind of wondered a little bit. So it's good. I think we maybe address it and and um, you know fine tune it. I also I just want to make clear my understanding. Because uh, an issue that's been raised about the attachments, the um, the financial report and the technology um, plan, we're not approving any of that here. We're not approving a budget within this. Is that correct? Well, so the all 90 pieces of evidence are posted on the secure part of the website that you all had access to. Uh, anybody who has MVC credentials has access to that. And that's uh, we did that to make it as transparent as possible for the internal campus community. Um, the next step is that we provide all of the evidence to both the ACCJC and all five of our team members. That is the requirement, and we will have that all on thumb drives uh, that will be sent out hopefully tomorrow to... Uh, to the team and the ACCJC. That, that's the um, extent of the um, requirement for making the evidence uh, available. It's really meant for an internal campus review. And, it, and every bullet point, with the exception of, of some of the sustainability pieces or uh, introductory bullets, um, have uh, evidence cited within them. And I did look at the evidence as I was drafting um, those bullet points, uh, and, and the team will be going through each piece of evidence and looking for that alignment as well. So um, Bob could probably uh, comment on the status of, the, of both the three-year financial and the technology plan. 
So the three-year the, uh, three financial plan was presented to the Budget Committee, reviewed by the Budget Committee, approved by the Budget Committee. It was presented to the Planning Committee for uh, information and, and for review as well. You are not being asked to approve that plan tonight, nor are you being asked to approve a technology plan. It is in draft form. It is evidence for this report because it indicates that we are in the process of reviewing our technology needs and evaluating the resources that we have available to meet those needs through the three-year financial plan. Reflected in the three-year financial plan is capital outlay to support the scheduled maintenance portion of the facilities plan as well as capital outlay to support a refresh plan for our technology. Those were all areas that were uh, we were requested to review as part of this uh, accreditation follow-up. Thank you. Amy? Yes. Uh, yeah, I have a lot, this, a lot of the same concerns on page 35. Um, you know, whereas the tech plan, it says it's draft. The three-year plan, which we've never seen, doesn't say it's a draft, um, so I, I I would like it to say it's a draft. The, the board's not approved it, um, so that's one thing. I've never seen it, so I don't think any most of the board members have either. I think it should say it's a draft. Um, the other thing is that paragraph. Uh, both com- both parts concern me. The first part saying that the that we shifted our approach, um, that we've adopted this district asset management system. Um, I don't think the board has adopted anything like that. We haven't passed a resolution about it. It's, we haven't changed our budgetary values to reflect that. Um, so I don't think that's accurate. And then um, I felt blindsided by the, the description of the ad hoc committee. Um, and I did also go back and listen to the meeting, and it, it, it was – it was stated that the ad hoc committee would be out in the community going to different agencies, land use meetings, and being the eyes and ears so that we could listen for anything that could potentially affect the college. It wasn't to look at how we could leverage resources at the college. So um, I, I just feel like that page does need some changes for me to support it. Thank you. With that, uh, do we have a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Second. Carolee. So I'm going to move first to amend the motion to reflect those changes, to reflect that the three-year financial plan is a draft, to take out the part that we shifted to a district asset management system and to recharacterize the ad hoc committee as was originally intended or just to take that out altogether. Is there a second on her motion? I would second that. No further discussion on that motion. Carolee, do we have a, a vote on the amended Could you reiterate what you're motioning? Um, To state that the three-year financial plan is a draft. To take out the section about shifting toward a district asset management system. To consider options for leveraging physical resources to support college needs. Um, And to either 
and to take out the part about the district real property asset review ad hoc committee. Maybe can I offer something? Is that okay? Um, I think they need. I think there's a, there's a motion on the table. So we can, thanks, Robin. You know, and another option would be. Well, we could let let's vote on this, but I guess what I want to say is maybe we could have a special meeting. Maybe we, you could come up with some better language, and we could have a special meeting to approve it rather than just take it out. Yeah. So, um, well, do you want to vote on the first motion? <laughs> Amended. So is okay. Go ahead. Voting. Yes. It doesn't show up. All vote. Yes. On the amended. Yes. You're in favor of the amended motion? Yes. Thank you. I vote yes, Carolee. Oh. I'm getting tired. Okay. I have everybody else's vote. I have Amy, yes. Kyle, no. Marianne, no. Michael, yes. Raphael, no. Rosara, no. Kelsey, no. And Jennifer, yes. Okay, so that motion does not pass. Does not. So now we're back to the uh, original motion. Can we discuss it? We did. Sorry, Michael, but <laughs> yes. So, in favor of the motion. That's correct. So the motion carries with Trustee Martinson and Trustee Baker voting against. Thank you. Okay, now we are on to can I collect? 13 point. Um, can we get your signature? Yes. So it's, it's a picture opportunity for you. Let me uh, get you signing this. But I have the pen when you're done. Mm. Then you're supposed to do this. I would like, before we move on, uh, you know, I want to thank Robin and the uh, faculty and staff and administration that was uh, countless hours in, in this thing, you know, literally thousands of hours. Um, folks worked very hard to put this um, um, 
follow up report together, and and I appreciate the board's support on it. it, it I I think it accurately and and um, phenomenally reflects where we are. I'm I'm anxious for the team to get here and for them to get it and to start looking at it. Um, so thank you again, and I appreciate it very much. Okay. Thirteen point four quarterly financial status of income and expenditures for the period ending December thirty first, twenty sixteen. Is there a motion to approve? So move. Discussion. Be no discussion. Carly, can we have the vote? Yes. <laughs> it carries unanimously. Okay, 13.5, California Community College Chancellor's Office Quarterly Financial Status Report for the period ending December 31st, 2016. Motion to approve. So move. Second. Second. Any discussion? There being no discussion, no questions. Carol Lee, call the vote. Was that Jennifer or Marianne who seconded? I think it was Rosaura. Was it me? Thank you. Michael? Yes. Carries unanimously. Okay, 13.6. Fiscal health checklist for the period ending December 31st, 2016. Motion to approve. So move. There's second. Second. Discussion, maybe? Just, um... Just because this is an avenue to get in something I was wanting to ask about. Um, number three, about enrollment, it says, um, does the district analyze enrollment and full-time equivalent students' data? Um, and in the past, we've always, you know, at least once a semester, kind of got some numbers about where were we at in terms of FTS and how it compared with the, the year before. And we haven't seen that this year. So I was just wondering um, if we could get some of that data. We haven't all year long had that kind of data on where we're at. I know at one point um, Mr. Shear said that he felt good and we were on target, but we haven't seen any actual numbers. So that's all I was going to ask. I did provide actual numbers uh, back in uh, fall for the fall semester. I haven't yet for this spring um, okay. at the direction of, of the president or at the direction of the board. We'd be happy to provide that. Okay, I must have missed it. And we Thank get, you. you know, just just so you know, and it would be that's the ordinary course of things. We would present them towards the end of the semester as it as things kind of shake out. Um, we, as a matter of course, get daily reports on on enrollments and FTE. So there's a dashboard, if you will, you know, for us. But but sending that to you would not be appropriate because you you wouldn't know what to do with it because they bounce all over the place. But but yes, we'll come back in. 
Okay, thank you. I had a question about, um, it has the district controlled deficit spending over multiple years? What's the definition of multiple years? Two? Bob, Bob question. <laughs> so it would be at least two. And, and so we expect that at the end of this fiscal year that will change to a yes. Any other questions? Being none, Carolee, call the question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's not here. I think this is where Joanne's. Carries unanimously. Okay, 13.7. Ratify financial documents. The motion to approve. Move, move for approval. There a second? Is there any discussion, questions? There being none, Carolee, call the vote, please. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And it carries unanimously. Okay, 13.8 curriculum changes, February 2017. Is there a motion to approve? Move to approve. There a second? Second. Thank you. Any questions or comments? There being none, Carolee, you can call the vote. Yes. Let me finish, Michael. I forgot I'd put a note here that um, if you need it, I have a couch that needs to be reupholstered, so if you need something to practice on. And it carries unanimously. Okay. 13.9 CCCT board election. Do have a um, recommended slate. Um, Let you know that uh, that was my recommendation. I reviewed the packet and I also reviewed materials that the uh, individuals running for the office uh, sent me directly. And after looking at that and, and their, their statements and, and taking into account, you know, experience and, you know, geographic location, size of their districts, and, and that's how I, I came up with the slate. Um, it's on here. Your, um, it's, um, you might have to refresh your view to see the list of names. Is there a motion to approve? I move to approve. There's a second? Second. Any questions, comments? There being none, Carol Lee? Uh, I've been getting E. Yes. Thank you for doing that, Raphael. You're welcome. That makes it a lot easier. The ballot is approved unanimously. Okay. 10.10, board policy manual, second reading and adoption of new revised or to be repealed policies. Where are we? 
BP4106 nursing program. I wanted to um, uh, suggest an amendment or something to to this one. I, um, I know there's been some conversation about what the current um, process is for accepting applications of new students and um, whether or not it's in a, properly aligned with this policy. I personally don't believe that it is. I don't think that the process that's currently being, that's currently on the website, which is basically first come, first serve, that does not ring true for, to me as random. Um, I don't have a real problem with first come, first serve, but I think that if we're going to have that as an option, it should be listed as an option in this policy because the policy does not say that. I, I think Dr. Kraft can help us here, but my understanding is that the, this policy doesn't set the actual procedure. These are the options that we have by law to, you know, um, adopt, but the actual procedure would be done. It, it, by, yes, at by faculty level and, and um, um, through the Office of Instruction as well, which and, and Eric can talk about it. So we have two experts in the, in the house here. I, I would say that... It, to your point, in, and you basically said it wonderfully because we, we chatted, you know, it's a chicken or the egg issue, you know. Mm -hmm. And I would say from the board's vantage point, you have control over the chicken, which is the, the policy. So if once you establish policy, then if it's not being followed correctly, then it's m my job to work with faculty and staff to make sure that it is. I, I believe that if they're, they're in alignment. And maybe, Eric, you can add, add some in academic senate. And if you feel like it, Amanda, I could also. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and, and feel free to jump in if, if you'd like to. Yeah. So with the with the board policy that we have here in front of us, this uh, went through a mutual agreement process, and the board policy that you're being asked to consider tonight is consistent with the provisions of Ed Code that um, relate to, to this particular situation. Uh, this is the league language on this particular template. How this board policy actually gets enacted through the processes that we utilize for the nursing program um, are really under un, under the purview of the uh, Office of Instruction and under um, and for us in working with uh, the faculty in the nursing program and also working with the Board of Registered Nurses, our external accreditor for this. So um, we have a policy that we, we have this as the policy and what we enact then in the actual um, process for the program is consistent with this policy. And uh, we have a, the the process that's actually on the website right now um, has some additional components to it that we're going to be enacting for this coming year. But again, all of those things are what we do um, in the actual enactment of the policy. And what's in front of you right now is the policy itself. And the question for that really is, is this, uh, is this actually aligned and in, in alignment with education code and those requirements? And the recommendation that we're putting forward from the mutual agreement process is that, yes, these are in alignment with what is required from Ed Code. There's been some question about, it says this is a new policy. So this is a brand new policy. There wasn't a policy for nursing programs before? No. So once we create this policy, then it's up to you to reevaluate the current practice to correct. see if you feel it's in alignment with this policy. Yeah, correct. And that will be laid out in the AR? So there's an AR that's already associated with this that is a restatement of the board policy. So there is an AR that we already have that went through the process as the board policy went through. 
once you as the board approve the policy, then it's our responsibility to go back and make sure that our practices are aligned with the policy at the board level. So, so yeah, the, we so would be going back and reviewing through those things to ensure that what we're doing on the ground matches what the policy says once approved by the board. So the current practice wouldn't be out of policy because there isn't one basically until tonight, correct? correct? Yeah. Okay. And then I just had a question about, there was one paragraph added to the CCLC template, uh, the paragraph additional criteria, that whole thing. That wasn't in the CCLC paragraph. So I was just wondering when, when we change the CLC format, do we run it by legal counsel um, to make sure that, because all the CCLC policies are looked at by legal counsel. So when we change it, do we run it by our legal counsel to make sure that it still follows ed code and the law? Well, in, in, in this particular instance, actually, that, that paragraph is ed code. So section 78261.5, uh, and we are going down to 4, or pardon me, to, let me follow my ed code here, to E2, additional criteria such as personal interview, a personal statement, letter of recommendation, et cetera. This is just a restatement. Um, uh, we went a little above and beyond what the, uh, what the template said, just we wanted to include a little more of the specific language from code on this one. So, yeah, that's not anything that we dreamed up. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So I, I don't want to put you on the spot, too, because, uh, again, I don't want to get into too many details, but do I understand that you intend to go back and review the process, or are you saying that you believe that the process that's currently posted is in alignment with this policy? So so when the, when you guys approve or not, we're hoping that you'll take the recommendation to approve as, as we've taken this through the process. Once that policy is in place, then it's the responsibility of my office to re evaluate the practice that we have operating on the ground to ensure that the practice is consistent with what is stated in the policy. So certainly anytime any policy comes forward to the board until the point when it's approved by the board, it's not enacted. And once it is enacted, then our responsibility through our processes to ensure that what we're doing is is in alignment with it. But yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Okay, do we have a motion to approve? So move. Any further questions? There being none, mm -hmm. Carolee. May I clarify that you're motioning for both policies? That is correct. Okay. Wait, we're doing both right now. I thought we were just doing the only, first one. I thought we were only doing the first one. Yeah. Okay. Me too. 4106. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so can we look at the second one then? We, we will. Okay. Oh, okay. Do you want to do them separately? Yeah. Okay. If it's easier, we can just go ahead and move on to the second one. Uh, it's yeah. completely up to you. Well, we, we got to have a discussion like, on the second one. Yeah. I'm sorry. Call for, call for the vote on 4106. Thank you. You're in charge of the recording, Jeff. I have no idea. You know, come on. Come on. Michael? Yes. Trustee Segura? 4106 passes by unanimous vote. Thank you. Okay. Uh, BP7310. I guess it's just the same question. As, I, I like this policy. I don't have any problem with the policy, but it's, again... 
there were changes. So I guess I, I'm again wondering if it was run by legal counsel. Let me. I, I'll make a general statement here and say, you know, in general, is that a, best, a practice that when yeah, there are changes, uh, do you always, run it? No, I mean, because the CCLC templates are um, suggested, and so they're they're solid, but but often. You know, I would say across the across the state, people adapt to them. If and bottom line, it's your policy. You know, so if it's not contrary to ed code or law, it, you, you can, you know, adapt your policies to meet local needs as they kind of make sense. So not not every time we wouldn't do it every time. These changes, I mean, they're pretty innocuous, but I just that's one of the things I actually remember from the effective trustee a couple of years ago is just that those have been vetted by an attorney, and if you're fundamentally going to change something, you should have it looked at by an attorney. And, but and to your point, I mean, I was just saying every time to your point, if there's some material thing that we I have a question about or I can't go to my experts and they and they say absolutely it's great, then we go out and look. Okay, thank you. Any other questions or comments? Um, is there a motion to approve? So move. Second. Okay. No further discussion. Carolee, can we call the vote? Yes. And it passes unanimously. Thank you. Okay. Fourteen board reports. Fourteen point one standing committee and other appointment reports. First one is Viticulture and Wine Winery Foundation Board. That's Mr. Iverson. Thank you. Two, Legislative Affairs Committee, Mr. Iverson. I have actually emailed Carolee some dates on getting together. Uh, Amy, I didn't get your email right away, so I went through and circled back. So they're all issues. I have a list that I need to get in touch with Carolee on, and we'll have an agenda and Scheduled dates, that's the plan. Okay. Three, Audit and Finance Committee. Marianne. Okay. Four, District Auxiliary Services Board. Rosara Segura. Oh, my goodness. Are we the only ones that met? Uh, we met on Tuesday. Um, and here's a couple of things. We will be presented with a budget uh, on a, our next meeting in June. Um, there will be an agenda item in June uh, for an agreement with the Silverado's baseball team that will include significant improvements to the college sports facilities as well as other benefits to students. Also, the board reviewed a summary advancement. Uh, the DAS and the W the BWTF plans for 2017-2018 that included unified marketing and branding for NVC partner programs and fundraising campaigns for various programs. Specific resource requirements will be broken out and presented in June. 
the board is reviewing BP 3600, which is rules governing auxiliary organizations and related documents. The board approved the DAS Foundation Board Policy AO 3410, um, which is non-discrimination. We approved an operational agreement with Festival Napa Valley that includes the college hosting the Orchestra Academy this summer and putting on several events in the Performing Arts Center. So we'll get good use of, of that center. Mr. Parker, this Parker, presented a detailed explanation of the approximately 74,000 listed as other in the DAS audit report as per public request. Um, approximately 64,000 of that amount is funds that flow through DAS on behalf of programs and that DAS handles for departments around the college or transfers to the general fund through DAS. This is cash flow, not expenses. Uh, the approximately 10,000 remaining comprom compromises of bank fees and discount charges for cafe revenue. Going forward, this detail will be provided in the DAS audit report. The next steps for Mount Vitor are planned and will be discussed through the end of summer. So, um, you know, it, it, it'll be a uh, future plans future plans for that uh, property between DAS and the, WB, the BWT. And that's it. And we'll be meeting on June 6th. Our next meeting will be June 6th. Thank you. Ms. Baker, oh, oh. McPherson Distinguished Teacher. We will be meeting next month. Thank you. Ad hoc committee reports, 14.2, Real Property Asset Management. I no report, no meeting. No oh, good. I, I thought maybe I just wasn't invited again. <laughs> uh, board meeting management committee. Okay. And we are fourteen point three. Trustee and board chair reports. Let's just start at this end. And Kelsey. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, just really quickly, three bits of happenings going on on the campus over this last month. Um, well, with ASNBC, we had a very successful fireside chat on drug policy, and we're very much looking forward to the fireside chat next month on immigration. Um, down in the community garden on campus, the uh, greenhouse is full of starts, which we'll be putting in the ground next month. Uh, and this weekend, the Honor Society um, Student Board is going to be attending a regional conference um, just in San Francisco representing the college. Thank you. Amy? So just in terms of activities, um, since our last meeting, I went to the Trades Introduction Program, the TIP graduation, um, which was great. Um, you could tell the students and their families were very excited um, and that they had really bonded with their teachers, and it was pretty emotional. The families were very emotional about 
these students having this opportunity to go through that program. Um, and uh, I hope to see it grow, whether we have it on our campus or not. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for students. Um, I also went to the paramedic graduation, which was enjoyable. I enjoyed the video, especially. And same thing, very emotional. And then To Kill a Mockingbird, I really recommend anybody that hasn't seen it that you go see it. It was amazing, um, and I know it's playing through the weekend. Um, yeah, it was great. I, I read that book in high school, but that was a long time ago, and I was probably too young to appreciate it. Um, I didn't realize just, yeah, just wonderful, powerful messages about, you know, mob mentality and tolerance and integ integrity and having compassion for people who act out of ignorance. And I'm wondering if she timed it because of what's going on in our time. But, um, yeah, it's an excellent play, and I strongly recommend that everybody go see it. And then I would like to take off the last part. I actually didn't see that you put the EAR for the agendas on the uh, agenda, um, so I, I didn't think that my gender request was on the, on the agenda. So I strike the last portion of my board report. Thank you. Thank you. Rosaura? Uh, it was very nice attending the um, the PEP forum. Um, it was very enlightening for me, being a new trustee. And so they do really good work. And, um, no, it was great. It was very informing. So... Thank you. Marianne, let's just keep going around the circle here. Um, I went to the corrections officers, corrections officers. We're not being any help. It's 10 o'clock. Sorry. Paramedic graduation. Day, yesterday, this morning, uh, I went to my government affairs committee meeting at the Canyon, and uh, we talked about immigration again, which is the hot topic these days, and that there is going to be with Bill Dodd's office, uh, our assembly member Cecilia Aguilar's office, and Eileen Johnson, um, that they're going to assemble. It's also bringing in the business community and really talking to the business community about how the business community should be touched. So there, you know, there's that other side of it that we don't always talk about uh, all the time. And then the other thing was um, we talked about American Canyon has this group that splits off of the American Canyon Chamber called the Green Island Road District. And all the businesses that get together and discuss issues. And one of those issues is often that people hire people, that they don't have skilled people. Um, and so next meeting is the 17th, and it's uh, at Coca-Cola. And I've asked Diana Chabotti to attend that because now we have a person who would really be great. Ron and I talked about this with 
Those are huge reports. Mayors can go out and speak with the members of people just in front of them. Anyway, so that's coming up and um, I think that that would be another really good connection to help us. Thank you. Michael. I was able to make a brief appearance at the African American History Foundation. Dr. Kraft showed up and off spirited me off to the ACA presentation, and was able to attend with my colleagues, the uh, corrections officers, and the paramedics graduations. And we, uh, that's my report. Um, I also went to the TIP ceremony and the corrections and the paramedic ceremony, and I went to the Dreamers film thing. That was very, very moving. Um, and I got to come uh, to the Redwood Middle School tour, um, kind of got to wear a dual hat, came at part of my job and followed a bunch of middle schools around. It's so much fun to watch adults deal with middle schoolers. <laughs> and, I really enjoyed the ceramics demonstration. It just really reminded me of how much I enjoyed college when I was a college kid, and it just got me really excited and how fantastic it is to be a part of it now. Um, my son is taking drama classes like he needs it um, at with the cafeteria kids at, at um, over at Performing Arts, and we're also going to be bringing our family here for um, Bubble Magic Show in a couple of weeks. So it's really fun to see so many opportunities for families and particularly young people to be able to come on campus. And um, last week, um, as part of my job, I went to um, a state conference. It's called CalSPRATS, California School Public Relations Association. And while I was there, I started wondering, uh, do we, is there something that's like that for college, uh, community colleges? And so I did a little research, and there is. There's the National Council for Marketing and Public Relations, which is a professional organization for marketing, communications, and public relations management for community and technical colleges. So I think it would be fan yeah, mouthful. Um, they, I think it would be fantastic for uh, us to explore um, how we might take advantage of uh, a resource like that. And there actually is a California version of it, too. There's a community college public relations organization. They're having their annual conference in Anaheim next month. So I don't know if there's any way we could send somebody. Um, one of the things that came out of that um, uh, conference, though, was a lot of the ADA things with accessibility on websites. And there are a lot of school districts that are reporting uh, that they're getting OCR complaints uh, because of inaccessible websites. And so I know that we're going to be looking at the website in the near future and just want to make certain that we get in front of that before it comes to us. Um, Finally, um, the Napa Valley Community Foundation is hosting a um, series of forums um, uh, on just conversations. Find, they're calling it Finding Common Ground and Creating Community in Post-Election America. The, it's going to be four different forums over the next several months. The first one is next week on March 16th, so a week from today. It's going to be at Napa High school at 5.30 to 7.30, so, um, and I believe there's still um, tickets available if anyone wants to try to go to that. 
Kyle. I've uh, been busy with the triple CT nomination. It's uh, I had the goal of calling 445 trustees up and down the state, and it was a pretty pretty big uh, call. I wanted to personally do it. I didn't want to do the robocall, so that's what I've been doing, college-related. I also just wanted to share with all you guys that uh, on a personal side, my wife is pregnant with our first. Congratulations. Just a, a tip for next time if you have to run again. You know, one of the people sent me a video. So I didn't have to read. I just watched a video. <laughs> Might be easier. Anyway, uh, thank you. I want to actually, I don't have a lot on my report because I had a lot of intentions of going to a lot of different things, but I didn't get there. Uh, so thank all of you for getting to those events. I also just want to say thank you. We had a, a long meeting today. We had a lot of stuff on it, and I think we had a great meeting. I think the, uh, there was great input from from people in the audience and the comments, and, and so I, I thought it went very well, so thank you. And with that, we're adjourned. Let oh. Michael do it with his brand new one. Look at that. He's a- <laughs> What? No. Oh. Beat him. Do it again.